Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Practicing the Way, the Sabbath Practice. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, it is good to be gathered together as we consider what God wants in our lives. And we're in the middle of this series called Practicing the Way, and we're spending several weeks looking at the practice of Sabbath. And as we do so, I, I recognize that uh, we come in with all kinds of things, and, and I recognize that uh, what's been going on in the world also uh, is weighing heavily on everyone's mind. And we know about the conflict in, in Israel and in Gaza, but you know, there's conflicts around the world too. So uh, I want to just uh, take a moment for us just to pray and, and then trust God to be the Prince of Peace all around this world. And then I'm going to move us into today's message. So if you would bow your heads. Father, as we gather here today, we cannot help but think about uh, world events and Lord, we do pray for your peace to reign on this earth. Lord, we pray uh, for peace uh, in Israel. We pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray for peace in conflicts that we're not even aware of around the world. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us, the body of Christ, to demonstrate that we are peacemakers wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. And so, Lord, as we come now to hear from your word uh, we ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Pat if he would come up and share a little bit about the Sabbath practice that he and his family have been leaning into. So give Pat Fitzgerald a great Valley Brook welcome. Hello, everyone. It's the Clark and Pat show this morning. Thank you, Nancy, for breaking that up. Um, my name is Patrick. I'm on staff here at Valley Brook. Um, I'm the worship arts director. Um, so when we started this planning for the Sabbath practice, um, I thought it was really important that we try to embrace it to, to the fullest as much as possible. So um, my family's been practicing Sabbath for the past few months. Um, we started small because this was a, a huge ask to spend 24 hours and stopping and resting, um, especially with a almost two-year-old. That is, that's a lot. Um, so we started with Saturday mornings. We put away our phones, iPads, TVs, any, any of that stuff, um, just so that we could be present. So Saturday mornings, we have a nice big breakfast. Um, we try to go outside if possible, and we'd um, just spend time together. And then his nap, we would take our phones back out and resume life as usual. Um, but yeah, as, as we kept practicing it, I just kept feeling like I wanna try, I wanna try this thing like all the way. So um, the best time that we had available was um, Thursday night into Friday. That's Friday's my day off and my wife now closes. So at the very least we're getting Thursday night into Friday, Friday afternoon. Uh, and then I try to push it as long as I can when she's not there. And I obviously sometimes fail, but that's the heart of this. It's, it's not about the legalism. Um, we want to receive the grace of rest that God is giving to us, and that's why we do it. Um, Sabbath was described by a Jewish rabbi, Abraham Heschel, as a cathedral in time, 
And that's my favorite descriptor so far of the Sabbath. The idea is we're here, we're in a cathedral of space. Um, but the Sabbath is a cathedral in time. It's, it's holy time. Um, so once we enter the cathedral, what can we do to draw closer to God? And as our desire grew, I already came up with this. I've gone off script. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, one thing we've noticed so far is that the practice can be amazingly restful and beautiful, filling our souls with love and peace, while other times it feels like a huge struggle. Um, one thing we've heard plenty of times in the group study so far is that this is normal, and studies show that humans learn on a J-curve, so we start out in one level and we get worse before we get better. Um, so like on guitar, the analogy that um, the creator of this uses is he learned how to play riffs with all downstrokes, and then he learned that he's supposed to go up too. <laughs> so he's like, oh, that changes things, and he, he then was really bad at things he was really good at. Um, but as he kept doing it, he then became better than he ever was because he basically could double his speed. Um, that, that's kind of what we're talking about with any practice that we talk about. We're talking next about prayer. Um, it's going to feel awkward and weird to pray in the way that we're talking, um, like sitting still and being silent, but we push through it and eventually we get better. Um, another thing I've personally noticed is that it's incredibly difficult to do nothing. Um, in 2023 America, we can literally always be doing something. Uh, we have to-do lists as long as we want. Um, in our house, we have all kinds of time occupiers that makes it near impossible to just sit and do nothing. Um, I found that getting outside if possible and spending time with people in Christian community are two great ways to help with this. Um, also, if you can, remove any distraction from your sight. Like, that's why I put the phone away entirely. And if possible, like, TVs, like, remotes hide them or something. Um, because even just the sight, like, there's, I actually heard that there's, um, like, the, the neurons in your brain are the same. If you're in the same room as your phone as you are if you're using it. Um, so putting it in a different room completely removes that brain chemical release of needing to reach for your phone. Um, and yeah, all of this is very strange and countercultural. Um, but here are some things that I dwell on to help me realize the value in this. Um, most humans in the world right now and throughout history could never dream of the ability we have to fill so much time with so many things. Um, so us in this area of the world are incredibly unique. The, the fact that we can fill all of our time um, is actually like a privilege that not a lot of people have. Um, the other thing is Jesus practiced the Sabbath in this way. Um, just without the strict and heartless legalism, I think it was um, John, maybe it was Matthew who told the story of they were walking through a field in the Sabbath and Jesus reached and actually took grains off and that was illegal. <laughs> and the uh, Pharisees told him like that he disobeyed the Sabbath. And then he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, so w th it's the heart. Um, in our life group, somebody said it's, the, uh, it's a mindset. It's a Sabbath mindset and I love that. Um, we approach the Sabbath with just being grateful, being um, content, not wanting, just enjoying. Um, we also see how many times Jesus left to be alone in prayer over the course of his ministry. 
um, almost as if this is how he recharged himself to be in prayer and communion, communion with God and the Spirit. Uh, so if I want to be more like Jesus, then I need to try to do what he did. And it can be very challenging to do this, very countercultural. But honestly, I, I feel like we should be countercultural because Christians shouldn't look like the world. We should look like Jesus. That means we have to do what Jesus did. And being intentional with the Sabbath is a great way to start. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thank you, Pat. You gave us a living illustration of what it's like to lean into this practice. So think about this. What is the thing or what are the things that are making you who you are? What is the thing or what are the things that are making you who you are? I hope you understand what I mean. What is it that you consciously or unconsciously spend time on every day or regularly that is forming your values, forming your beliefs, forming the way you live your life? Maybe it's your preferred news program. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your friends. Whatever or whomever it is that forms your values and your beliefs is in a way making you its follower, or you could say making you its disciple. So whatever or whomever is helping you form your values and beliefs is discipling you. But really, as followers of Jesus, there's only one person that's supposed to form our beliefs, form our values, and that person is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We want to help you and help everyone become fully devoted followers of Jesus. In other words, disciples of Jesus. And that's what we are trying to do in this series called Practicing the Way. And we're learning some of the spiritual practices of the way of Jesus. Now, one pastor said this, the practices that we see in the life of Jesus require us to slow down, create space for God to do in our lives only the things that God can do, to transform the, the deepest part of our souls. And he goes on, he says, because we live in a world that's marked by an insatiable pursuit of productivity, that these practices then that we're talking about can seem upside down, they can seem a little awkward, even impossible. However, that's only because we are more shaped by the world around us than we realize. But the more we begin to practice the way of Jesus, the more we begin to see what it looks like to slow down, to simplify, to focus on what matters. And after a while, it's not the way of Jesus that looks upside down. It'll be the world around us that increasingly becomes more and more out of sync with us. As we build these practices into our everyday life, we will be building what disciples of Jesus for centuries have called a rule of life. Uh, Pastor Pete Scazzaro writes this, a rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and become more fruitful. You know, a, a trellis is a structure that you use to help vines grow on and produce good fruit. So this spiritual trellis is intentional. It's a conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. And think about this. We all live by a rule of life. Most of us do it unintentionally. 
The reality is that the habits that we form shape much more than our schedules and our routines. They shape our hearts and ultimately what we worship. Justin Early has written a book called Habits of the Household, and in it he says this, by not choosing our habits carefully, we are falling back on rhythms that are forming us in all of the usual patterns of unceasing screen time, unending busyness, unrivaled consumerism, unrelenting loneliness, unmitigated addictions, and unparalleled distraction. So, We've begun this practice by looking at this series by looking at the practice of Sabbath. And and God has given us a rhythm. It's a 24-hour period to stop working, to rest, to delight in this life that we've been given and God and to worship him. And we've looked at what and why, the what and why of stopping and resting. And today we're going to look at what we can do when we Sabbath. And we're going to focus on the truth that the Sabbath is supposed to be a day in which we pursue and experience delight. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment because uh, I, I want to deal with some angst that maybe some of you are feeling because you've heard both me and Pat say that Sabbath is supposed to be a 24-hour period. Don't get stressed out about that. If it creates stress in you, you don't have to go for 24 hours. You can just start with a couple of hours, you could try half a day. The reality is, as Pat reminded us, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. And one other thing, if you think of Sabbath as being Sunday, which many of us do as the traditional Christian day of rest, that's fine. But if your employment requires that you have to work on some Sundays, find a different day to pursue the habit of Sabbath. Now, uh, I think it's just important for me to to remind us of this. You you know, God created this rhythm of Sabbath. Modern medicine will tell us the importance of the need for a day of rest. Modern research will tell us the importance of turning off our devices and getting away from the things that drive us. So, We are given this day, this day to celebrate. So let me uh, sort of go in a different direction for a minute. Do Do you know why Christians celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday? It's not because it's the seventh day of the week because uh, that, that we read about in creation, actually, according to scripture, Sunday is not the last day of the week. It's the first day of the week. That's, why our Jewish friends and some Christian groups like the Seventh-day Adventist church hold their worship services on Saturday. Some of you are thinking, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. My, my, my Jewish friends go to synagogue on Friday night. Yes, they do. Because in, in a Jewish worldview, the next day starts at sundown. So at, at sundown on Friday is the beginning of the Sabbath in the Jewish worldview. And so that's why your Jewish friends go to synagogue generally on Friday night. They start off their Sabbath practice by going to worship. So while I know for us, our calendars may say it's Friday night in Judaism, it's the beginning of the seventh day of the week. But let's go back to the original question. Do you know why Christians celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday? 
It's because Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. If you read through any of the Gospels, when you get to the resurrection account, you've probably read it many times and it just hasn't clicked. But all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will say at dawn on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb. And so the tradition happened in the first, somewhere in the first hundred years of the church where they said, we are going to set aside every first day of the week, every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's why followers of Jesus celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. It's supposed to be a day where we remember what Jesus has done. Obviously, it's a day where we stop working, where we, we rest, but it's a day to delight in what God has done for us and is continuing to do in our lives. Now, let's talk a little bit about the word delight. Not, some, not a word that we use a lot often, but it can be a noun or a verb. We can find delight and we can delight in wonderful things. Uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the noun delight as something that gives us a high degree of gratification or pleasure or joy. And when it comes to the verb delight, it describes it, defines it as an action of taking great pleasure in something or giving enjoyment. And God has given us this day to stop, to rest, to delight in this day, to, to delight from not working, from ceasing what continues to drive us the rest of the week. And uh, we're going to drill into this idea of delight. And the first thing we wanted to look at is this. God experiences delight. God delights in you and me. God delights in his human creation. Psalm 149 says this. The Lord delights in his people. Think about that. The, the Lord delights in us. Now, I, I, I'm going to say something that's going to rock your world, I hope, even though we all know that we disobey God, we make mistakes and we sin, God still delights in us. That, that should be mind-blowing to us. We see that when God created humanity, when he created us, we were the last thing in the line of creation. You know, every day after he created something, he looked back at what he created and he said, it is good. But then... When he got to creating humanity, he said something different. He said, it is very good. God looks at us, his human creations, and he says we are very good. He, he delights in us. He delights in us, and he desires for us to know him and to be known by him. God's pursuit of us demonstrates our value and our worth. And, and the overall story of, of the Bible, when you read through it, is the constant pursuit of God coming after us, trying to, to know us and letting us come to know him. And, and he continues to pursue us regardless, regardless of whether we believe in him or not. He does not stop pursuing us. A musical artist, Corey Asbury, wrote the, uh, the worship song, Reckless Love. And uh, as the title suggests, it says that God's love for us is extreme. In fact, he says it's 
overwhelming, it's never ending, and that it's reckless. Now, I'll be the first to admit that that's a startling description of God's love. And, and I know some people take exception with the word reckless as a description of God's love for us. But think about it for a moment. Wouldn't you say that, uh, that continually pursuing and loving a people who over and over and over again demonstrate by their words and their actions, their lack of interest in God as reckless? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that God's continual pursuit over and over again of, of people who say they believe in him, but then become unfaithful. Wouldn't you say that if he continues to pour out his love graciously, generously, unending, wouldn't you say that sounds a little reckless? When you think about everything that God has risked, knowing that his people would reject him, wouldn't you say that feels reckless. Wouldn't you say what God asked his only son to do on our behalf, knowing that some of us would believe in him and some of us would reject him, would feel a bit reckless? But God was willing to take that risk over and over and over again across the millennia to demonstrate that he loves us and wants to be in a relationship with us where we can delight in one another. God finds joy in us and in our relationship with him. God wants us to know him in this life, and, and he desires for us to spend forever with him in his kingdom. David, the shepherd boy who became the king of Israel, wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them, but many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. And David understood how God delights in us because he understood that God pursues a relationship with all of us. And he wrote personally about how he experienced how God pursued him. And in the 139th Psalm, he writes about God's knowledge of him and his relationship with God. And this is what David said. Just, just think about this and even think about it as it would be spoken about you. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. David is describing how God pursues us because God wants to know us. Because he takes joy in us because he delights in knowing that he can have a relationship with us. And when we have that relationship, it's even more delightful for God because he wants us to know him and to be known by him. And we can't forget, since God is all-knowing and he knows all about us, he delights in us regardless of whether we reciprocate that love, regardless if we, regardless if whether or not we reciprocate belief in him, regardless of our relationship to him, 
he still loves us. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That's a God who loves and delights in his creation. And what's also amazing is God wants that relationship to be mutual. So God wants us to find the light in him. I'm going to go back to the Psalms. The 37th Psalm says, take the light in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we have this biblical truth that God wants us to find delight in him. That truth has been understood by Christians throughout the ages. Over the centuries, the church has worked to teach people what it means to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And early on in the history of the church, they created and published things called catechisms. Now, very simply, uh, a catechism was a teaching tool to help followers of Jesus to know about God and to understand the doctrines and the theology of the Bible that the body of Christ, the church, taught. And in fact, many catechisms are credited as being one of the most important tools when the church went through what was called the Protestant Reformation because it taught people in a very succinct way, in a very clear way about God and about Jesus and what it meant to believe in him and be a follower of him. Uh, If you're wondering what the other most important tool was, because there were two, uh, it was the printing press, which allowed people to print multiple copies of the Bible. But back to the catechism idea. These tools were written in the form of questions and answers. You may have uh, experienced maybe growing up and you had a a confirmation class or a catechism class and you you had those questions and answers. Well, the the most well-known catechism is the Westminster Catechism, and it was written in the 1600s, but it's lasted all these years. And it served actually as a prototype for many other catechisms. But the very first question in the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the purpose of humanity? What is the purpose of humanity? And the answer is to know God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. Our purpose, we were created to know God and to enjoy him forever. God created us and he wants us to know him. You know, in the story of creation, we see that God creates humans and he desires to be in a mutual relationship with humanity We were made to know God and to delight in relationship with him. You you go back and you read the story of creation and you see that when God walks to the garden and after Adam and Eve have disobeyed, they've sinned and they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of life and they've realized that they're naked and so they've found something to cover up their nakedness and they hide from God because it says they were ashamed. But God pursues them even though he knows this. God pursues us whether we are faithful to him or whether we're unfaithful to him. Let let me just go back and and cover one thing because I think uh, I left it hanging there with that first uh, verse that I read for this point. Remember it said, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean God's going to give us everything we want? 
No, the desires of our heart need to be the things that align with God's will for our lives, for his will for humanity. So we, we have to remember that, that that's so important for us to do that. So the Bible tells us this, that when we pursue God and delight in him, we will be blessed by him. We read this in another psalm. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him, though he may stumble he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I love the realness of what God's word tells us. It says, if we delight in God, he's going to direct our lives. He's going to show us the way to go. But, but here's that dose of reality, because it says we may stumble. In other words, we may make a mistake. We may goof up. We may sin. But he says we won't fall. In other words, we won't our life won't be perfect. We'll go through hardships and challenges that will cause us to stumble in this life and even in our faith in him. But if we delight in God and continue to follow him, he won't let us fall. I take that to mean, most importantly, that he won't let us fall away from him. Jesus understood this. In his very own words, this is what he said. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus said that to his disciples, then and now, to us. And we understand that this is what he's speaking to us. God wants us to have joy in this life. And Jesus tells us that the way to joy, the way to delight is faithfully following Jesus. So there's a joy in the journey of following Jesus. The commands he gives us are not made to restrict our freedom but rather the commands he gives us are, are guardrails to keep us on the joyful journey with God. God provides those guardrails for us because he wants us to define delight in him and in following him. And as a weekly reminder of that delight, he gave us the Sabbath. He gave us the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is a day for delight. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and he confronted the people of Israel about being unfaithful to him. And God had some particular things to say to them about practicing the Sabbath. He said this, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, the people of Israel weren't observing that rhythm that God had given them, that rhythm of life where you work six days, but you take a Sabbath on the seventh day. They were just doing whatever they pleased. And he said, listen, if you recognize it's a day of delight, if you practice the Sabbath, 
you'll find joy in following me. Now, as, as Christians, we need to recognize that the Sabbath was given to us as a blessing. It's important for us to understand that. While the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, uh, we know that Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant, we must not miss the fact that God created the world and gave us the Sabbath as a day to stop and to rest and to delight in this day and to delight in our relationship with God who delights in us. So seeking to observe and practice the Sabbath is not some type of legalistic Christian behavior, but it's meant to bless us. Now, I, I think we all know the blessing of working really hard on something and then the blessing that we feel when we stop and rest after it's done. I think we all know the, the blessing of working hard on something and we complete it and we sit down and we rest and look back on it and go, wow, that looks good. You know, I think about this. Maybe you, all of you do too. Every fall, God gives us the opportunity to look at what a messy yard looks like and then what a clean yard looks like. And if you're like me, you know, an hour after you've cleaned up the yard and more leaves come down, you go, oh. But you understand what it's like. So he wants us to find the light by sitting back and resting. That's what Sabbath was for. It's a day to delight. And look, I'm going to encourage you to pursue that and explore that. And, and um, to explore that, I, I just want to get practical as I bring this message to a close about ways to delight. So if you choose to make the Christian Sabbath, which is our Sunday, the day to practice the Sabbath, obviously you're going to choose to gather with Christ followers to worship God. And that's what you're doing right now. So, so that's great. Um, as I think about that and it goes without saying that, that practicing the Sabbath should include uh, a time with God, some time to let his word permeate our brains and our lives, some time to, to talk to him and, and pray to him. And, and it should be a time set aside to do some things we delight. And I don't know about you, but feasting sounds like a great way to delight, you know, just to enjoy some good food and to, to enjoy some, some good relationships, friendships with others, to take some time to spend time with people that are important to you and, and have some meaningful time with you. So I want to encourage you to explore ways to lean into that. Now, as I'm practical, as I've gotten into the practical, I'll just say one thing, you know, uh, practicing a Sabbath experience won't just happen. You're going to have to plan for it. You're going to have to prepare for it. I learned years ago uh, when I first took a, a financial class that I can't just let my money take care of itself. I have to plan how I'm going to spend it if I want to be a good steward of it. And so I've recognized that when it comes to Sabbath, I've got to plan how I'm going to spend that time because if I don't, it's just going to fall to whatever comes along next. So we have to plan it. We have to put some boundaries around it, whether it's a couple of hours or whether you go after a full 24 hours. But I believe that when we begin to lean into this, we will understand more and more what it means to experience delight. To, to experience delight. So if you could, 
I invite you to uh, bow your heads, and I'm just going to pray for us as we lean into this practice. Father, as we gather here today, when we recognize what you have for us, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would sense your spirit guiding us and leading us to, to spend some time with you, whether it's a few hours or longer, to practice some time to stop the hurry of the world, to rest, and to pursue the things that bring us delight with you and with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.